0: We're gonna be in Mark chapter one today, and I'm gonna be reading from verses twenty-nine to thirty-nine. It'll be on the screen. If you want to follow along, you can go to the summitstl.info. Say God at that time. And there's a sermons card on there, and we actually have the sermon notes in there and the different things you can follow along if you'd like to. So let me read God's word for us today. And immediately he left the synagogue. And entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they took him. They told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. She began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed. And he went to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. How would you handle fame? How would you handle fame? You know, fame in and of itself really isn't a bad thing. It's what fame entices us to that fame has this alluring power to make us think that we're something that we're not. It entices us simply to pride, to think that we're the ultimate authority, that we have it all together, that we know what should be done and how it should be done. You know, to start off with some transparency here, I struggle with this every Sunday. I mean, think about what's happening in this moment just for a second. I'm in front of a couple hundred people telling you about God's word and how you should respond to God's word. So then, what happens after a sermon, if it's good, people are like, man, Brian you got it. That was awesome. You really brought God's word. And do you know what happens to me? (laughs) I mean, I think some of you can understand the temptation here. Like, there's a deep temptation to walk away from that and be like, yeah, I am something. I matter. I mean, I might matter and get, you know, publicity on yahoo or something like that but it happens here that even in this temptation amongst you to be seen and think of myself as something more than i really am i was listening to this podcast it's a fascinating podcast it was discussing something incredibly controversial that i wanted to just quickly share with you and they were debating this it was this sentence It's uncomfortable to think about this. But take Hitler. If you had 20 million people saying that you were the country's savior, who would you be to disagree? Do you really believe that your ego would be able to resist the praise of 20 million people? Now, first... I want to say, Hitler was evil, right? There's no justification for what he did, period. It's just a provocative thing to ponder that this man who did so much evil in our world, what happened was with these 20 million people, the temptation of fame and power was so dangerous, you see him giving into that and the incredible tragedy that incurred because of it. We like to think we would resist temptation. We do this with most things. We like to think if someone extremely attractive came up to us and tried to seduce us, we would resist. We like to think if we came into a lot of money, we would not be greedy. We would be very generous and we would take care of other people. We like to think if that we're a part of a company that was doing something wrong or illegal, we would say something that we wouldn't hide, that we wouldn't protect ourselves because we needed the income. We like to think that if we became successful or embedded in something that changed the world, that we would remain humble and committed to Jesus. And my question to you this morning is, would we? I mean, would we really? Some of you are like, What is Brian going to talk about today? Well, today Jesus encounters that moment. He encounters the temptation of fame. He encounters the temptation of what's happening in this world as people see his miraculous acts and how he responds and what he does might surprise you. Just to remind us where we've been, Mark starts his gospel by making this incredible declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah. This disrupting call that he wants Jesus to break into our lives and change how we understand everything about God and life. And then what happens is Mark shows us that Jesus is worthy of this title because of his baptism that and God's affirmation of who he is and then how he resists satan in the desert and the greatest temptation of all to reveal himself as the ultimate representative and after these two moments what then happens is jesus declares here's what i'm here to do i'm here to bring the kingdom into this world and break into this world with a new kingdom the light that will crush the darkness and he calls people to repent believe and follow And then we see this transition. Mark then starts the life of Jesus. And last week we talked about how Jesus cleaned or healed a man by casting out a demon. And we see Jesus establishing his authority. But it wasn't the purpose of the healing that we were supposed to focus on. But all the people were saying Jesus is bringing this teaching. There's something new that's about that we've never seen before. He has an authority that we've never understood. And you see then what happens, it's interesting, in Mark chapter 1, verse 28, the last verse of last week's passage, it says this, and at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. His fame spread everywhere. Now let's note that that's not faith, but rather it's notoriety. It's his popularness that's spreading. And it's not because people are seeing him as the Messiah or the Son of God. It's because of what he's doing. It's because of his miraculous acts. Mark wants us to say, no, it's because of the authority of his teaching. But what's actually happening is his fame is spreading because of these healings that he's doing. And the question now arises, how does Jesus handle it? How does Jesus handle it? And that's what we're going to process this morning. And so we're going to look at the humanity of Jesus, the spirituality of Jesus, and, and the strategy of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus, the spirituality of Jesus, and the strategy of Jesus. So let's dive in here to the humanity of Jesus. We see here right at the very beginning, Mark wants to show how deeply Jesus cares about his creation. Over and over, we see throughout this gospel how Jesus cares for his people. And it starts right here with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And the language Mark uses to describe what, hap- or what happens with Jesus here is incredibly intimate. Hear it again. He says, and he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. We, we see this powerful picture again of this kingdom that Jesus wants to bring into this world, breaking in, the future kingdom that we have hoped for, where there's no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering and no, no more crying. And, and Jesus, in this moment, heals this woman in a beautiful and intimate way. And, and Jesus deeply longs for us to experience his intimacy in that same way. And we're going to dive into that more here in just a little bit. But what's interesting about what's happening is that Mark actually also is drawing this other tone that's happening in this passage. So we see Jesus and his intimate connection with his creation. But then we see how people are responding. And I I want you to hear it again as he's doing these healings, what's happening. Because Mark uses these extreme words here to help us see. So in verse 32 he says, That afternoon at sundown they brought to him all who were sick, not just a few other people who were sick. They were like, ooh, this guy, there's something going on with this guy. We're gonna bring all of the sick people. And it is then implied, all of the demon oppressed people. And then look at verse 33, it says the same thing. The whole city gathered at the door. So so there's this implication here that it's, it's not just a few people who are like, oh, this guy, everybody is showing up because he's doing, you know, I mean, everyone likes to see being careful here, magic tricks, right? Like everyone wants to see what this guy can do. It's like, oh man, let's go find out who he is and what's going on. And then I want to point out something a little bit later. In Mark verse 37, um, chapter one, verse 37, Peter goes to find him. Simon goes to find Jesus. And he says to him, everybody is looking for you. Now it's interesting, that word right there, looking, every time, that word is used in the book of Mark, it's negative. He's not saying, hey, we all want to see you. Mark's trying to help us understand that there's something negative that's going on with the way people are responding to all that Jesus is doing. He's showing that everyone wants Jesus for the miracles, not the authority of his teaching, and definitely not him. I think we can understand how Perhaps the disciples and the followers had the potential here to misunderstand or be misguided. That What they wanted to do was they saw Jesus as becoming something famous, something unique, and they wanted to elevate him and put him in this power of position of leadership and authority, which is not what Jesus came for. Which leads me back to the question of fame. This is a great picture here of the humanity of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of the times we like to think about Jesus' deity, that he's God, that we need him to come in and change our situations, fix our situations, and do things for us. And what Mark is doing here is something that we actually need more of, which is the picture and understanding of Jesus' humanity, uh, of how he lived just like us. That, that the disciples, what's going on here is, is that they're trying to elevate Jesus into his, who he is, like let's make him famous, but Jesus is not wanting to do that only, but we see that he's actually struggling with it. Why? Because he's human. It's a question to ask, like, Did Jesus have to learn as he lived on this earth? I saw a tweet earlier this week from a pastor who said that his 10 year old kid came up to him and asked him, Did Jesus ever throw up? How would you answer that question? It's interesting, like, did Jesus ever, I mean, did he really? I mean, he's God, right? So when that started to come, he just was like, no, nope, I'm not going to throw up. Like, <laughs> but that's what we think, isn't it? I mean, we do. Let's admit it that we do. Like, we think if Jesus didn't want to feel the things that we feel, I mean, did Jesus really feel loneliness? Did he have pimples? And and you maybe have heard some of these things about the humanity of Jesus and wrestling with it and digging into it, but, but I would like you for a moment here to just ponder and reflect on that Jesus was like us in every way. Every way. Jesus was a sinless man, not a sinless superman. Think about that. Jesus was a sinless man. He was not a sinless Superman. We don't think of him as human because we want him to fix our circumstances, but his humanity is the very thing that allows him to relate to us. And I, what I love about this moment is Mark is showing us the humanity that Jesus lived. That in this very moment, In this very moment what's happening is what happens when people come up to me at the end of a sermon and say that was awesome Brian you're you're amazing that Jesus faces the same temptation that I face and he faces the same temptation you face that when someone says to you you're an amazing parent or when someone says to you you're the best teacher, or you're a great nurse, or you're one of the best moms I've ever seen, or you're one of the best dads I've ever seen. That we have these moments in our lives where we start to think of ourselves as more than we are, and there's a temptation in something that's good and encouragement. Please pause here. Please do encourage me after my sermons. I do not want the application of today to be like I'm never telling Brian that was good again. I mean, it's on me to wrestle through that, right? But but the point is the same here. That what Jesus is, he's diving into and dealing with a very, very real moment that most of us wrestle with. When we, when we talk about temptation in this life, we often think about dark and evil things that we're tempted to, but we struggle sometimes to talk about the temptation of fame, the temptation of selfishness, the temptation to do things in our own strength. And here Jesus is entering into that very real temptation. Jesus had come for so much more than temporal healings. But yet the people in this moment were saying, let's make this the center of everything. Now, now before we wrestle with how he dealt with his humanity and how he's, he, he resisted this temptation, I just want to remind us of a, an incredible passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that helps us understand the humanity of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, I want, I want you guys to, to really just let this concept rest on you for a second. That here in this moment, the humanity of Jesus is exposed that he's brought into this moment of temptation to give into his ego, his pride, the fame that could very much well be his. And he, because he's human through the power of the Spirit, still resists temptation. And we're going to talk about how he does that here in just a second. But, but what I want you to think about in this moment is That means when you and I struggle with temptation, Jesus comes alongside us and says, I get it. So when I go home from a sermon and I'm really wrestling with, well, usually I don't wrestle with it, right? That's part of the problem. I'm just like, yeah, I'm great. I'm awesome. People love me. But when I then... Have this moment where I can go before Jesus and say, I thought I was more than I was. How do you think Jesus responds to that moment? How you answer that question says everything about what you think about Jesus' humanity. Because if you think Jesus puts his arm around me and says... It's okay. Try better next time. Then you're probably following a Jesus that doesn't understand the complexities and hardness of temptation. But if you think that when you go before Jesus and you say, Ah, I messed up. And Jesus puts his arm around you and he says... I know how hard temptation is. I know how easy it would be to give into that temptation. I still love you. I died for the fact that you would fail. It's okay. I died for the fact that you would fail. (laughs) Just walk with me. Trust me. Let me love you into a different way. That's what it means that Jesus was human. It means he, he sympathizes. He knows how hard temptation is, and he, he doesn't want us to hide from bringing our struggles and our temptations. He wants us to bring all of our temptations to his feet. So what does Jesus do in the midst of temptation? Mark 1: 135. He got up early in the morning. It was still dark, and he went out to a desolate place, and he prayed. In his humanity, Jesus goes to the Father. In his humanity, Jesus depends on God in the face of his temptation to remind him, to set him on the path, to straighten him out, to say, This is what I have for you. This is what my purpose is. Let's not forget what I've called you to. Jesus was tempted in every way at this moment, more ways than we could possibly comprehend or understand. And what he needed was God's will, agenda, and purposes to rule in his life. And so the answer to this question of how when we're in the midst of temptation and we face the struggle to give in to our ego, what should our response be? It should be to go to the Father and sit at his feet and confess our temptation and our struggle and say, remind me of where we're headed. And this is where I need to pause the game just for a second and say to you, you guys, this was so convicting to me. that that So many... Of you might know this about me, but I, I tend to be a, a pretty active person. So what that means is is like when I get up in the morning, I like to go pretty much nonstop until I go to bed at night. And 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 I like that. God has wired me that way. I, I'm not a good like, hey, let's just sit down and look at the stars kind of person. There's something always to do. And I like being active and doing things. And as I was sitting here studying this passage these last two weeks and I being reminded that what did Jesus do to keep his ego in check because he's human, to keep the temptations that were in his life in check because he's human. You know what he did? He slowed down. Let me say that again. He slowed down, he slowed down, and he went to his father and he said, I'm being tempted. I'm telling you guys, I changed my morning routine this week. That may, I, I'm just being transparent with you about this. like." I changed my morning routine. So instead of getting up, first thing, getting in the shower, checking my email, you don't even care about my morning routine, I I, I changed. My, I, I said, I cannot, I cannot come before our church and say, slow down, figure it out, spend some time with Jesus and confess your temptations to him. So I was like, Ugh. do you know how hard it was for me to slow down? and just and but, but hang on, hang on, because this is also what was happening for me in this. I was then saying to god, i I was coming before him to to confess what my temptations are, like just to be in his presence and feel him put his arm around me and say, "Yeah, I get it, those temptations are real. I totally get it, and I think that's sometimes. What we miss, like when we stumble and we fall, we go and we should because that's what Jesus does. But in the same place, what this picture, what Jesus is saying to us is in this world, you're going to face so much. And so would you, yes, there's a component here of following my example, but it's so much more than that. Come before me and just spend some time in my presence and, and, and just talk to me about your struggle because I can sympathize with you in that. One commentator wrote, if you and I are flawed, weak people, and he's the son of God, and he thought he needed more prayer, the busier it got and the more famous he got, how much more would we need it? Maybe you've heard this famous quote before, Martin Luther, famous reformer and preacher, he said this, I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. You know, we too can get enthralled in the idea that Jesus cast out demons and healed sickness and next week he's going to heal a leper. But doesn't the mission of Jesus have everything to do with intimacy with God? And here we see Jesus living the life we couldn't live. Resisting the temptation to do famous things and become more famous and submitting on the will of the Father. And he does that by going before him in prayer. And so friends, I'm going to ask you, humbly, learning myself, would you consider slowing down this week? <laughs> would, you, would you maybe even consider putting something on your calendar maybe just 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and going before Jesus to confess where your temptations are, where you are failed and where you're still struggling. Now, now remember, this is where we get confused sometimes. Like The motivation to do this isn't that you're bad and you need Jesus to fix you. Jesus was human. He wants to relate to you. That's that's what the beauty of this picture is. We don't have the power to resist temptation without him. And so Jesus wants to bring an unburdening, a motivation that we're human. And so what does it mean to be human? It means to rest on or rely on God. And then lastly, we see what happens to Jesus. What happens after he spends time with the Father, he reveals his strategy. He reminds Peter, even when Peter comes and he says, everyone's looking for you. Come on, we need we, the opportunity for more mir- miracles and greatness is his hand. Let's do this. Let's make this happen. Jesus says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus came because why? He wants to proclaim good news, good news to you and to me. You know, there's something extremely counterintuitive about the plans of God here that we struggle with too. I want God to come into my life and fix things and change things and just make things work. Where do you want God to do that in your life right now? Like, is it with your kid? Is it with a job? Is it with your spouse? Maybe it's even in just your relationship with him. You're like, God, come fix this. Come change this. Come do something in my life. And what we learn in this moment is, is here's what's happening. The disciples are saying, whoa, the crowd's are gathering, Jesus. Let's do this thing. Let's get out there. Let's get more people. Let's, go to, let's, let's see if we can get them even bigger. You can heal more people. People are going to be like, man, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. And Jesus comes out of his time with God, and he says, I'm not here for the big crowds. I'm here to bring in the kingdom of God. So let's go to the next town. Now, you know, and We might miss this just a little bit, but, but I, I want to help us understand a really important concept that's happening here that actually God told us a long, long time ago. Robert Capon, he's a really great thinker and theologian. He introduced this thing. We actually talked about it a couple years ago when we did the parables. It's called right-handed and left-handed power. And he talks about what right-handed power is. And What right-handed power is, it's like straight line power, it's strong arm power. And what the disciples were asking for in this moment was that kind of power from Jesus. They're like, Jesus, let's just go out there, just show, just do as many miracles as you can, let's just get as many people as we can possibly get to follow you. We'll just just like beat them over the head and we'll get them to follow us. It's, It's gonna be amazing. And God promised that He would never use right-handed power again after Noah. God said to the world, where he put a rainbow, there's this beautiful picture. Some some believe that what this picture of the rainbow was was actually God putting down his bow. And he's saying, I'm no longer going to use right-handed power. Everything I do now is going to be left-handed. And do you know what that means? It means messy. Messy. And so when the disciples are saying, more miracles, more healing, let's do it. Let's beat them over the head. We'll get as many people as we can to show up. Jesus comes out after his time with God and he says, left-handed, slow, messy, invitation to the kingdom of God, repentance and faith, following. He, he, he brings this whole other idea of what it means to engage with him and his kingdom, You see, what Jesus is going to do is he's preaching God as the famous one. He's bringing the real good news that are bigger than his miracles. Liberation for the poor and the captive. My friends, the good news is that God is the famous one and he's bigger than just miracles. Miracles. And that kingdom is at hand, which means liberation for the poor and the captive, which means liberation for you and for me. Jesus is bringing a paradoxical power into the world, and it looks like weakness and the softening of hearts. It's the kind of power that leads to suffering and death. And this is why Jesus doesn't come with a hammer. He comes with patience and suffering and grace and invitation. And that's the same kind of power that he welcomes you with. He says, repent and believe and follow me. And when you struggle, when you face temptation, know that I sympathize with you. So Jesus comes on the scene and in his humanity faces temptation. And after time with God, he reminds his disciples that he's here to do things much differently than they want things to be done. And that's to proclaim the message of the good news. So maybe today we could give thanks for the humanity, the spirituality, and the strategy of Jesus Because when it comes down to it, I'm a slow learner. And the fact that Jesus is also slow in how he leads me, that he's gracious and patient and kind, and he sympathizes with me and my struggles and my pain and my temptations. Maybe if I can learn to come into his presence, which he invites me into, and allow him to sympathize with me and love me in those moments That's what will truly lead me to transformation and change. Jesus went to the cross for us, he rose again for us, and now he offers to each of us the presence of the famous one. So come bring your temptations, find the one who sympathizes, and come hear the good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he, in your perfect plan, you didn't just send yourself. You sent yourself as a human, which we so often forget. And thank you that he lived the life that we couldn't live, but now through the power of your spirit invites us into communion with you. And that in that communion will be transformation. There's not a demand for us to live that way the invitation is to be in your presence. So, Father, hear our confession. We struggle to make time to be with you. That's our simple confession today, Father. And I prayed that in the welcoming heart of Jesus, that he sympathizes with how tempting it is for us to rely on our own egos and not think that we need you. He, even in this moment, puts his arm around us and says, I know how tempting it is to think you don't need God. I died for the fact that you would fail in that temptation. But I love you. And I want you to respond with how much I love you. And so, Father, might we respond to Jesus' deep, deep love for us and step into your presence in some way this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.